Well, hey, good morning. How are y'all doing? All right, good. Uh, my name's Nick Schatz. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be able to worship with you today. I, I woke up this morning, and there was frost on my windshield, so I almost didn't come, but... Oh, thanks, Kayla. Figured if I didn't, we'd have to hand the mic to Tom or somebody, and you wouldn't want that. So anyway, uh, here we are. Well, again, good morning, and welcome to the 9 o'clock worship service here at Hershey Free Church. Hey, as we get started with the message, I want to show you a picture of a book cover. This is the book Animal Farm by George Orwell. How many of you have read this before? Raise your hand. Okay. Well over over half of you. I guess this was sixth grade reading material for for many of you. Uh, Animal Farm. I'm typically not a fiction reader. And I actually didn't read this in school. I read it uh, long after school. But I really enjoyed what George does in this book. It's an interesting book. Uh, obviously, most of you are familiar with it. It's a story of these animals that are on a farm, and they get tired of being pushed around and uh, worked and used and, and abused in their mind by these farmers on Manor Farm. And so they decide that they're going to cause an uprising. They're going to buck against, uh, literally buck against the farmers that are there. And they actually end up being successful. They chase the farmers away from the farm, and the animals are now running the farm on their own. Now, shortly after this happens, they decide that they probably need some leadership. They need a little bit of structure. Otherwise, they're just, the animals are just going to kind of wander around. It's going to cause disarray, and there's not going to be any food to eat. So they decide they need to establish some leaders. And there are, as the book cover shows you, some pigs who rise up to be the leaders of this manor farm. Uh, now, the pigs end up being... Uh, very witty and very smart and very intelligent, so they end up twisting the truth a little bit. They end up coming up with this philosophy that they call animalism, and so there's different mantras that they repeat. There's these seven principles of animalism that uh, they come out with, but over the course of time, these pigs end up uh, just demonstrating deception, uh, bribery, in general, naughty behavior, you could say, and, and start abusing the other animals. And uh, they end up doing things that humans would even do. They start to live in the house where the farmers used to live. They start to sleep in the beds that the farmers used to sleep in. They start to eat food similar to what the farmers ate. And the other animals are raising an eyebrow. They're, they're, they're not quite as intelligent as the pigs, but they begin to wonder, what's going on here? This is kind of strange. They're acting a lot like the farmers. And so in order to quiet things down, the pigs end up painting this uh, thing that we, we see up here on the screen on the side of the wall on the barn. It reads, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And of course, us humans who are more intelligent than the sheep and the horses that are reading this on the wall, we can see through this that although the pigs talk a lot about equality and how we're all equal, it becomes obvious that they really just want power. They want prestige. They want privilege that comes with being the leader of this farm. And what is masterful is George Orwell, he's pointing out in this book that there are certain traits that these pigs have that are natural to us humans, to us people on this earth. We all believe, and everybody in here would would agree with me in saying this, that we are all created equal. All of us are are equal. We are all made in God's image. Uh, Jesus died for every single one of us. He rose and resurrected, promising a resurrection for any one of us who follows him. The gospel applies to all people, and we are called to make disciples of all nations. We are all equal. However, we all have these tendencies, natural tendencies within us, in which we identify with people who are like us, and we, whether intentionally or unintentionally, do not associate or push away people who are not like us. We have these default settings within us in which it's very easy for us to make stereotypes about people who don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't act like us, don't go where we go, those kind of things. We have uh, biases for people who are like us and skepticism towards those who are not like us. 
And when we do this, when we segregate against those who are different, what actually also happens is that we create a barrier, not only between us and them, but also a barrier between them and the gospel. Because we are the ones who hold the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And so when we push them away, someone away who is not like us, or when we simply just don't take a step to talk to them because they are not like us, because of a different nationality, a different philosophy of life, a different lifestyle that they live, whatever the case may be, we are also holding the gospel away from them. And as Christians, that's one of the worst things about segregation. Segregation creates a barrier for the gospel. And if there's one sentence that I want you to hear today, one sentence that I want you to remember after this is all over, it's that sentence. Segregation creates a barrier for the gospel. Now I have a question for you. Have you ever felt like the horses or the sheep that were in that story in Animal Farm? You felt like you were left out in the barn and the pigs are for some reason in the house and you are not welcome in the house. Maybe it's your occupation, your age, your gender, this color of your skin. I mean, whatever the case may be, you felt like you were left out in the barn. Yes, uh, when, when we all speak together, we are all equals. However, some are more equal than others. Maybe it's your occupation. Maybe you work at a job or you're at an entry level and other coworkers come and go and they nod and they smile and they, they have small talk with you. But it becomes obvious that you're the bottom of the food chain, that you're junior varsity in some ways. You're equal but not as equal as others. Maybe it's your race or your gender. You enter a, a room at work or at school or at uh, uh, some, some other place, some other circle in which you enter and yes, you're an equal. However, everyone around you does not quite look like you and somehow you're treated as if that's the case. Maybe it's your abilities. You're on a sports team. You're not quite first string rate or your handicap and, 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 and people treat you in a different way because of that. And so you feel like, hey, we're all equals. However, I'm not quite as equal as those around me. And what happens is you begin to feel left out. You begin to feel not accepted. You begin to feel as if you don't really belong. And what also happens is that the people that segregate against you, here's what also happens. The credibility of everything they say loses weight, Right? The integrity of everything that they believe in or everything they say to you just, just really loses weight. They lose integrity. They, they, they lose credibility with you because they have shunned you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, knowingly or unknowingly, they have shunned you and segregated against you. And so everything that they stand for really doesn't hold any weight anymore. And that happens to us as Christians. If we are to do this to other people, the integrity and the character of the gospel also loses credibility when this happens. Segregation creates a barrier for the gospel. And so I want us to take a few moments and look at the way that one of Jesus' first followers, his name was Matthew. He had a handful of uh, first followers. And, and, and we're going to open up to a book that he wrote, actually. We still have this book. It's called the, the Gospel of Matthew. You can open that up if you have a Bible or a Bible app with you. And we're going to look at what this first follower said about Jesus. Because we see that in, in the, very first, the very first sentence that he writes about the story of Jesus, he uses these titles to describe Jesus. He's a Messiah. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. And, and one thing that he makes abundantly clear, if you're a Jew, you notice this. Many of us in here, we won't quite notice it unless I, unless I point it out for us. But if you're a Jew, it becomes very obvious that Matthew is trying to write this book and saying, no matter what your nationality is, no matter where you came from, no matter what your family is, no matter the color of your skin, no, none of that stuff matters. This Jesus is for you. This Jesus is for everyone. And he is worth following no matter where you came from, no matter what your background is. So let's look at that first sentence in Matthew 1 and verse 1. Matthew writes this, this book. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes on as he begins to open up this letter. He lists a bunch of names 
of people that descended from, they, they are descendants of Abraham. This is what he says in verse 2. He starts with Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and on and on he goes. He goes through this genealogy of people who came from Abraham. In other words, he's writing this book saying, hey, all of you, I want to tell you the story about a man named Jesus. And in order to do that, I want to tell you about a guy who died around 2000 BC. I want to tell, I need to start telling you about Jesus by telling you about his great, 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 and 40-something other greats grandfather. And it leads me to wonder, why do I need to know about Abraham if I want to hear about Jesus? Why, why does Matthew think it's important that I know that Jesus was the son of Abraham before telling me that he's God or, or something else like that? Good question. I'm glad you asked. And so here's two facts that I want you to know about Abraham. Here's two facts that we need to know about Abraham. The first one is this. Abraham was the founding father of the Jews. Abraham was the founding, is the father, founding father of the Jews. You see, several thousand years ago, God uh, sent a message to this man named Abraham. And in this message, he had a promise. And he promised Abraham that Abraham would have many children, many grandchildren. In fact, so many that an entire ethnic group of people, an entire nation would spawn just from his descendants. And these descendants later became known as the Jews and they occupied the land that we know today as Israel. And so all these people are going to come from him. And over the centuries of this nation growing and developing and, and, and more and more offspring, so to say, more and more Jews are occupying this space, there began to develop this pride in being a Jew. In fact, it was common for a Jew to walk around and say that I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a son of Abraham. I'm a daughter of Abraham. And there was this pride that came with that. There were certain benefits that came with that. And so if you're in Jewish territory and you're not a child of Abraham, there there are benefits that you do not receive because of that. In fact, even within their own temple and within uh, later on their own synagogues once the temple was gone, there were Gentiles who wanted to come and hear about the Jewish God. They wanted to worship the Jewish God, but there are certain boundaries. You can't cross this threshold because you're... you're not a Jew. You're not going to be able to participate in worship. You can watch us worship because this is our God. We're God's people. You are non-Jewish. In fact, one of the most shocking things that was very customary for the Jews is that everyone who was not Jewish, they just kind of threw into one basket. I know that you're a Syrian. I know that you're a Persian. I know that you're an Egyptian, but to us, you're just not Jews. We're just going to call all of you Gentiles. You know, they just kind of lump them in this one box. It's like me standing up and saying, well, good morning, fellow Americans, and the rest of you people. I mean, how offensive, <laughs> do you see how offensive and how awkward this is? But this is just how it was. There was this deep pride in what it meant to be Jewish, to be a child of Abraham, and there was this also deep disgust for those who weren't. They're, they're, unco- they're unkosher. They're unclean. They're uncircumcised. They're, they're, they're Gentile dogs, in fact, we would call them sometimes. There was a segregation between the Jews and the Gentiles that ran very deep. Matthew knows about this, and so he writes this letter, he writes this book, and he intentionally starts out by saying, this is Jesus, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the founding father of the Jews. Here's the second thing that you need to know about Abraham. God's promise to Abraham includes all nationalities. This promise that was made to Abraham, it included many children and the nation would spawn from him. However, the most significant part of this promise is that He told Abraham, one of your descendants, you don't know which one or when it will happen, but one of your descendants will not be a child, a descendant of yours. He will be capital T, capital H, capital E, the son of Abraham. One of your descendants will be the Messiah. And because of him, all nations, all people, all ethnic groups will be blessed because of of that son. In other words, 
one of your descendants, the Messiah, will be the Christ for all people, all nations. And it opened the door to say that God, all people are welcome into God's family. This Jesus that I tell you about, Matthew is saying, this Jesus I tell you about, he's for everybody. And everybody is welcome in his kingdom, no, no matter what your background is or your family structure is. And again, if you're a Jew, you read through this genealogy and you begin to see these names that don't quite fit. Now, you and I, we wouldn't recognize it. However, if you're a Jew and you're reading this, it definitely sticks out. There's especially four names that stick out in the genealogy. There are four women. One is Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. You see, as he goes through these names, Abraham begot this guy and this guy begot this guy. Da, 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 da. For one, it's kind of shocking that he puts women in there at all because that was not customary in ancient genealogies and family trees. However, the first one he mentions is Tamar. Tamar's a Canaanite. He also mentions Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite. She was also a citizen of that first big city that they had to go and conquer as they entered this land of Canaan that they wanted to claim for their own. He mentions Rahab. He mentions Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Enemies of Israel. He mentions Bathsheba. In fact, it's a little interesting. He doesn't actually name Bathsheba's name. He says, the wife of Uriah. And I believe he does that because we don't know Bathsheba's nationality or ethnicity, but we do know that Uriah was a Hittite. And so Matthew's given this clue to all the Jews reading that there's Canaanites that were part of God's family or Jesus' family. There were Moabites. There were Hittites in there. And by the way, he doesn't list other people that you would think he should list. For instance, there's no Sarah, the wife of Abraham, the matriarch of the Jews. He, he, he just conveniently leaves her name out. There's no Rebecca, the mother of the man who changed his name to Israel and became the founding father of the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. There, there's no Leah. He, he leaves out these, these key names in Jewish history, but he includes these Hittites and Moabites and, 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 and Canaanites. I mean, these unkosher, unclean people that he includes in here. And he's sending a message to the Jews that segregation doesn't, segregation isn't okay anymore. All people, no matter what their background or nationality is, no matter what the color of their skin or their race or, or, or all that stuff, the, 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 the playing field is level. This Jesus is for all people. That is what Matthew is saying. Because he realizes that segregation creates a barrier for the gospel. And whenever we shun someone because they're different from us, Whenever we just don't talk to someone or don't affiliate or don't try to establish a relationship with someone because they are different from us. Whenever we make someone feel less equal than we are, we put a barrier up between them and us. But we also put up a barrier between them and the gospel. Because if I never talk to someone because they're different, I'm certainly not going to have a conversation with them about Christ. If I'm never around people who are different, I'm not going to have the opportunity to talk about my faith or their faith with them. If I ever make someone feel threatened or put down or less equal than me, then they're certainly not going to ever want to listen to my faith story. If I give people the impression that I'm not interested in them because I can't understand their accent or whatever the case is, I'm also telling them that they don't need to be interested in my Jesus either. Segregation creates a barrier for the gospel. So here's a question I have that I've been asking myself. Why do we do this? Why do we segregate, discriminate, show prejudice? Why, why, why do we segregate other people who are not like us? Because the truth is, we all do this to some extent, right? It's, it's, just, it's just natural within our DNA, you can almost say, to have stereotypes about people. We, we don't understand other people, so we, we, do, we have these stereotypes that we develop. We naturally develop a bias towards people who are lo- like us, they look like us, they talk like us, they act like us, da, 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 and a skepticism towards those who are not. 
We're naturally comfortable with familiarity. We're uncomfortable with things that are not familiar to us. It's very natural for us to establish these stereotypes within us. And I believe the main reason that we do this is because of fear. It's ultimately fear. We fear what we don't know. I don't know those people. They could be dangerous. There's a fear of loss. If all these foreigners come in here, they're going to take all of our jobs. There's not going to be room at the top for me. There's a, there's a fear of loss. There's a fear of awkwardness. I don't know how to relate to them, so I'm just going to not try at all. There's a fear of change. All these younger people in the company, they, 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 they don't think like me. They're starting to change things. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Then there's this fear of change. The big one for the Jews was this. There was a fear of losing their distinctiveness. If we let all these Gentiles worship with us, if they let all these Gentiles into the church or into the synagogue, we're going to lose what is distinctively Jewish heritage. We're going to become this Gentile place. There was this, this fear of a loss of distinctiveness. After all, they eat food that isn't kosher. They have practices that are unclean. They want to start worshiping on Sunday instead of Saturday. They're uncircumcised. The segregation ran deep in the early church between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it was the stereotypes and the bias and the segregation that was keeping the Gentiles from following Jesus. And Matthew knew this. He was aware of this. Segregation creates a barrier for the gospel. So my question for us today is, how can we move these barriers? How can we chip away at our stereotypes and our bias and our skepticism? How, how can we begin to chip away at these barriers and, 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 and start to eliminate the segregation that we have against people that are not like us? Again, I'm glad you asked. One of Jesus' closest followers, in fact, I would argue his closest follower of all, his name was Peter. Unfortunately, after Jesus resurrected and Peter was out doing ministry and trying to tell others about Jesus, it became obvious that he had some discrimination, a deep d- discrimination against those who were Gentile, who were not Jewish like him. But there were three key events that happened in the life of Peter that began to change his mindset on this, that began to break down that barrier. Three key events happened. And so here's the first one. It happens in Acts chapter 10, if you want to look that up in your Bible at some point. Peter is up on a rooftop one day and he is, he is praying. As he's praying, he grows tired, he grows hungry, he falls asleep. Has that ever happened to any of you? You're praying, you're hungry, you're tired, you fall asleep. You're in good company. It happened to Peter. He falls asleep, and as he's sleeping, he has this dream, this, this very vivid dream in which this large sheet comes down from the sky. And on this sheet, there are several animals, unkosher animals. If you're Jewish, these are animals that you wouldn't want to touch or handle or, or be around. They're animals that you certainly would never kill or eat or cook, anything like that. They're, they're, they're pigs and stuff like that. And he sees this sheet come down with all these animals, and this voice begins to speak with him. Here's, here's what it says. I'm reading from Acts 10, 13. Then a voice told Peter, get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Go hunting, in other words. Surely not, Lord, Peter replies. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep, of course, and, and the animals on it, went back up into heaven. Peter wakes up, and this dream was so vivid that he actually interprets it as being a dream from God. God is sending him a message through this dream in which he's, God is showing him that his cultural eating habits are getting in the way of him developing relationships with other nationalities, with the Gentiles. And of course, an even broader message is that God is trying to tell him in this dream that there, there are no people who are unclean. There are no people who are unpure. There are no people that are off limits for following Jesus. That's, that's really the basis of this dream that he has with people. So what steps can you take to break down the barriers of segregation that you may have that maybe you didn't, aren't even aware of? How can you begin to chip away at those things? 
Well, if I were you, I would learn from Peter and learn to eat pig. After all, Peter went to a school of people that they didn't do pig. He worshipped with people that they didn't like pig. He grew up in a neighborhood, they don't do pigs. And so it's hard for him to identify with people who do pigs, right? I mean, this is, I, I don't eat pig, I've never eaten pig, I don't like the smell of pig, I don't like the looks of pigs, I just, I don't know what your pig is. Maybe it's asking that mom at the park where she came from, how she arrived in Hershey, if she's from a different country or a different state, just having a conversation. Maybe it's inviting that coworker out to lunch that lives a very different lifestyle than you. Maybe a lifestyle that you would consider immoral, but maybe eating your pig is going out to lunch with them and just getting to know them and hearing their story and how they got to that place. Maybe you are like me and you have to learn how to eat mince pie. Is Dave Smith in here? Okay, good. So, <clears throat> a few months ago, I'm at Dave Smith's house. And uh, we, we do this thing at his house. And then afterwards, he, he brings out this pie and he begins to serve pie and heat it up and stuff. And, and it looks a little strange. And so I say, Dave, what kind of pie is this? And he says, it's mince pie. And I'd never heard of this before. I grew up in North Carolina. We eat normal pies. We eat pecan pies. <laughs> and so I asked him, I said, this smells kind of funny. I said, Dave, what's, what's in this pie? And he says, meat. And I think he's joking, but he's not, he's not joking. It, I guess he had leftover beef in the fridge and just thought, I'll mix it up with sugar and make a pie. I don't know what he was thinking. But he makes this mince pie. And he serves it to me. And you know what? I... I took the pie, I was skeptical, I decided I'm going to try it, and you know what? It was gross. (laughs) And I I told him, I said, Dave, this is the weirdest thing I've ever, I've ever eaten before. And I've been to Nicaragua, I've been to, I mean, this is just, this is weird, man. I'm reading this passage, I feel really bad about that, I probably shouldn't have. When when in central PA, eat like a central Pennsylvanian, I guess. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have any cultural or maybe even religious habits that can get in the way of you identifying with people who aren't like you? Maybe they're not like you because of race or gender or something like that, but, but maybe they're not like you because they're not Christian. It's hard to, there's no common ground with them. Are, are there any cultural things that get in the way? Learn to eat pig. That's what Peter did. Well, hey, there's a second thing that happened to Peter, a second big event that happened that helped Peter break down these walls of segre- this wall of segregation he had built up against the Gentiles. In fact, it happened the very next day after this dream. You see, Peter ends up uh, leaving the house that he was in, and he goes into the house uh, of, of a man named Cornelius. And if you didn't catch the name there, it's, it's not a Jewish name, it's actually a Gentile name. And we find out that Cornelius is a centurion, which is an officer, an officer within the Roman army. Again, these are the people that killed Jesus. They locked him up in a tomb. They sealed the tomb with a stone and with Roman uh, officials, Roman guards. Um, the body was resurrected. Jesus rose from the dead. And then he made up lies, pointed fingers at the Jews. I mean, this is, this is awkward. Let me just say this is awkward. He's in the house of this, this Gentile Cornelius. Cornelius' uh, uh, friends are there. He's got relatives there. Uh, there's a lot of people in this house. And Peter feels very out of place. He's not used to being around people like this. There's probably bacon everywhere. I mean, he's, he's just not used to this. And, and this is... I want you to notice, I want you to look at this. This is what he, what, what he says. Uh, I'm reading this from Acts 10, 28. Peter says, to, this is the first words out of his mouth as he stands up to address this crowd. He says, you all are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Like that's, what he, that's the first thing he says. You guys know that it's not normal for people like me to be around people like you. Like that's the, 
Thankfully, he slowly pulls the foot back out of his mouth. Here's how he continues. If you, if you skip ahead to verse 34, here's what he says. Peter, he, he realizes this profound thing. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I think that is such a profound statement in, the, in this moment for Peter to say. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, even Gentiles, the one who fears him and does what is right. And I believe that something deeply transformative happened the day that Peter actually walked into the home of a Gentile and had a dialogue. And, I, and I'm sure we can all identify with this. I tell you, something changed in me the day that when I was a boy, I had over a, a friend, a friend of mine named Eric. I had him over to my house. Now, I grew up, I was a white boy. I'm still white. I went to a mostly white school. I worshiped at a mostly white church. I lived in, everybody in my neighborhood was white. And, and Eric was a black friend of mine. And it was the first time I'd had him over. We were boys, and so I had him over, and, and the whole day we played Nintendo, we jumped on the trampoline, we shot basketball hoops, we, you know, we, we, just, we just played, we had a great time. The entire day he was at my house, like Saturday or something. And when his mom came and picked him up and Eric left, although I wouldn't have said this at that time, I think something very transformative happened to me. This North Carolina boy in the South, I think something, something transformative happened to me the day that Eric came over and we hung out. And I think something transformative happened to Peter the day that he sat down in Cornelius' house. If you want to start to break down those walls of segregation, go talk to a Gentile. Not a little Gentile, but someone, someone who is, I don't care how different they are, just, just someone different to you. Just go talk to them. You hear one story. That, that's how you change stereotypes. That's how you realize prejudice that you didn't even know was there in the first place. Talk to someone who was different from you. Go eat a pig and talk to a Gentile. But there's a third thing that happened to Peter that really shifted his mindset. Unfortunately, this didn't quite all work out. In Galatians chapter 2, we, we hear this other story. Long after the Cornelius event, we have this story in which Peter is sitting down and, and sharing a meal with Gentiles. He's, he's learned something from the dream and from the, 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 the event at Cornelius' house. He's sharing a meal with some Gentiles, but some Jewish friends of Peter come to town in Antioch there. And they don't feel the same way. They haven't really gotten to the same point uh, in, in that segregation, leaving or exodus, whatever you want to call it, that Peter had. And the peer pressure builds up. And Peter, over the course of several days, it looks like he kind of backs away. and he, he, he starts disassociating himself with the Gentiles. Now, he has this colleague named Paul. And Paul wrote some things in the Bible. He wrote the, he wrote the book of Galatians that I'm about to read from in a second. Paul finds out about this, and he, he confronts Peter to his face. In fact, he confronts Peter publicly on this, this, this segregation that he's showing towards these Gentiles. And then he writes a letter that becomes part of our Bible and sends it to the church of Galatia, in which he documents how he chewed out Peter for his segregation. I want you to look at, look at this with me. I'm reading from Galatians 2, verse 11. Uh, Paul is writing this. He says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, those, before the Jews came, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Why? Because he was afraid of those Jews. Well, why do we segregate? It's fear. I don't know them. I don't know what they do. I'm, I'm not like them. I don't look like them. I don't talk like them. Their accent. There's fear. He was afraid of the Jews, right? And afraid of being associated with the Gentiles. 
And Paul goes on and says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, when I saw that he was segregating and that is not in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, I said, you're a Jew and you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. Then how is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In other words, Paul just chewed him out. And he, and he wrote this letter to, to the Galatians and explained how he chewed Peter out to show that segregation will not stand in the churches I plant. In other words, is what he's saying. Segregation will not stand in the kingdom of God because this Jesus that Matthew told us about, he's a Jesus that's for all people, and all people are welcome in that family. It doesn't matter where you come from, the color of your skin, it doesn't matter what you do for a living, doesn't, none of that matters. This Jesus is well, he's the son of, he's the son of Abraham for all nations, all backgrounds. And segregation creates a barrier for the gospel. We all unintentionally have these stereotypes, these bias towards people who are like us, the skepticism towards those who are against us. How can we break down those walls of segregation? I believe there's, Peter shows us three things that happened to him. Go eat a pig. Start to pick away at your fear of, of what is unknown. Go talk to a Gentile. Get to know someone who is different from you. Or just get chewed out by your best friend. Not really, but what I mean by that is have a candid, you can have candid conversations with friends about segregation. And maybe you're in a small group and, and you're going through discussion questions from the sermon. Maybe this is something you guys can talk about as a small group. Hey, I know that we're all alike. Maybe that's the case for your small group. But how do we unintentionally do this and shut people out of the gospel? How, do, how can we break that down? And so I want to ask you this. What, what, what do you think would happen in Derry Township? What do you think would happen right here in this region? If, if just, Hershey Free, just people of Hershey Free Church decided that we're, we're just not going to do this anymore. We're just not going to segregate. We're just going to, we're going to, we're, we're going to do our best to, to, to eradicate the bias that we have, the skepticism that we have, the stereotypes that are in our mind. We're, we're just not going to, well, what happened just in Derry Township if we, if Hershey Free Church only decided we're, we're just not going to do this anymore? And I want you to imagine yourself talking to someone that maybe you've known them for a while, you work with them, whatever, but you've never talked to them because, I don't know, you're just different from them. They're different from you. And I want you to imagine yourself talking with them. I want you to imagine yourself one day, saying, hey, do you have a faith? <laughs> Just having a faith conversation with someone that you probably never would have imagined yourself having this conversation with. All that's possible because Jesus was the son of Abraham. Segregation creates a barrier for the gospel. And, and we have the ability to break down that wall for other people. Thank you for your kind attention. Would you please stand with me? The worship team is going to come up and we are going to sing a song together. And as they come, let me pray over you all. <clears throat> Father, whether we realize it or not, every single one of us, we, we, we have these stereotypes, as I said, in our minds. And we, and we don't even realize it many times. We, we do things, say things that others would see as offensive, and, and we may not even realize it. I pray that you would open our eyes and make us more aware of this. I pray that as small groups meet tonight, or, or, or if they end up talking about this, that, that they would end up just sort of sharing different stories and I pray for courage and boldness for, for all of us here at this church as, as we just go out of our comfort zone and, and begin to talk to people, begin to get to know people, begin to just put that skepticism we have away and, and have open dialogue and conversation with people. And I pray that as a result of this, that we would be able to have faith conversations with people and talk to people about our trust in Jesus and how that has just transformed our life. And I pray that small moments, just like happened to Peter, I pray that small moments would happen to each of us and that this would break down walls of segregation that we have and, and break down the barriers to the gospel that may be present with those that we interact with. We pray this to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.